Okay, I want to go to Acts chapter 10 this day and talk about Cornelius coming to the Lord. We've bumped around this for a couple weeks, but I want to take one more shot at it. In Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch had come to the Lord. He was a Gentile, but it was kind of an isolated event. And... um, you know, he went home, there was, there was no mention made of him any further. But in this 10th chapter, you have an introduction of the Gentile group into Christianity, so to speak. And there are several things that take place that make this so that it isn't just a separate group or separate situation, but it, in a sense, there's a, a one-body aspect of this in the book of Acts. You know, it's, it's not a thing of just go do your own thing or you and Jesus only, but it's these people are brought into a community. And, and so there is an awareness that should be in us whenever we embrace the claims of Christ that we aren't isolated or it isn't just our group, but there's a larger Christianity as a whole that, that we need to acknowledge and appreciate as well. And so even though we may not do everything the same, we may not meet at the same times, really is unimportant in comparison to this idea that we are still part of a larger body. The other thing that is tied together with this is that there is a core doctrine that Peter brings into this setting when he talks about the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Christ in salvation, where he declares that, God brings peace through Jesus Christ. And there's an acknowledgement of the forgiveness of sins. And so, you know, in some ways, this is dealing with a core issue from the beginning of time, right? In the Garden of Eden, you had the tree, and they weren't supposed to eat from it, knowledge of good and evil, and they were told no. You know, I... Our... uh, my son and his wife sent a, a, a Facebook video to us, and I won't bore you with the video. I'll just tell you the full story in detail. Now, uh, <laughs> but we have a, a grandson that's less than a year old, and he's sitting in front of the stove, pitching a fit, for lack of a better. He's, he's whining, and, and he starts to put his hand toward the stove, and then he <clears throat> pulls it back, looks at him. Eh, pulls it back. He is learning the value of no, but he, he, it is unpleasant to him even in that moment. And, you know, I'm looking at that, I'm going, less than a year old, but he's getting that beginning understanding that not everything is for him. Parents, you do your kids a great disservice if you don't teach them the value of no. You know, we're, we live in a culture, no, no, open it up, let it explore. Don't, you, you'll, st- no, seriously, each of us has to understand what no is about. In the garden, it's, it, it's so amazing to me, it's in the middle of the garden that he puts that tree. They can't escape looking at it. And they're looking at it and it's going, it's good and it's pleasing. And yet it's still not for you. You know what? 
The, the devotional thought I had this week when I, I realized I'm a long ways from Acts 10. I'll get there. I, the devotional, I said, on, who or what is your tree, so to speak? Where it's like, it's not for you. Who or what is your tree? Might be appealing or pleasant, wonderful. Not for you. And you just have to embrace the value of saying no. So, you know, that, that's kind of the, the background of humanity. And God's going, the only way peace is going to be done is through some kind of reconciliation and restoration. And that's what he brings through Jesus Christ. So, anyway, um, they have a core doctrine. Then, also, there's a similar experience that comes out of this story. Where in Acts 2, Acts 2 they speak in other languages, but there are people, because it's a festival setting and there's a feast going on, there are people from all different nations there. And so, there was an understanding of those languages going on. Nothing's declared of that in this Gentile experience in Cornelius' household. In fact, the impression you get is that they're basically one or two lang- or three or four language speaker, you know, languages, but it's not like this wide variety, but they still have this similar language experience tying them to, to kind of the, the Acts 2 thing. And so again, the people from Jerusalem are having to go, Wait a minute, they're, they're having the same encounter we are. We can't just write these people off. And by sending Peter there, the early leader of the church, there's an acknowledgement that they're being brought into this thing that's going on. And finally, the other linking factor in this is that after Peter sees this, and they've already gone through the doctrine, and they've had all these things going on, Peter says, well, who can deny them baptism? And they participate in water baptism, which, again, is the early entry activity that accompanied salvation, and it was a, like a public declaration of, this is the group that I'm stepping into. And so that's, again, these, these community and common experiences. Okay, Acts 10. There was in Caesarea a man named Cornelius, captain of the centurions, or a group of soldiers called the Italian unit. Very religious man. He worshiped God, and so did everyone else who lived in his house. He'd given a lot of money to the poor and was always praying to God. So God is hearing his prayer, and God is aware of this, but he is bringing him under the umbrella of Christ. Okay? Peter's going to come declare Christ to them, and he's bringing him into the church. So it isn't just religiousness, and it isn't just God honoring, but there's a corporate identity that's being connected to this group through Peter and through this vision and all that's going to be going on. So... You know, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he has his vision, and he's told, 
go get Simon Peter, He's, and tells him where he's at, and so he sends a couple of his servants to go do that, and one of them, it says, is a believer. So he goes, and, and he gets that. Well, at the same time that these guys are arriving at the household, Peter is having his own vision. He's gone up on the roof to pray. He fell asleep, and he stayed all day. No, that's a different story. Um, some, yeah, you're too young to know that song. Whatever. I'm, I'm distracted. Okay, so Peter has a vision, and he sees a sheet coming down from heaven with snakes and birds and animals, but the idea is there's animals that he's not allowed to eat, but he's very hungry, and he hears his voice, kill and eat. And uh, he's going, no, 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 no. And three times he has the same vision. And, and it, the declaration is powerful when he hears this. And it says, when God says that something can be used for food, don't say it isn't fit to eat. So, in other words, he knows that even though he's hungry and he's thinking he's just having a hunger dream, God's speaking through it and declaring to him, I want you to understand this truth. That's an intriguing thing because, you know, when we have dreams that we remember, and oftentimes the first application is saying, well, yeah, I was worried about this, and so, you know, I'm dealing with that worry. But it may be appropriate even to chew on that a bit more and just say, is God speaking to me even though I know these things are connected? Take it to that next level and just say, okay, he's, he had this encounter. He's hungry. He's getting a hunger dream, but God is speaking to him about something different, and it's, it's going to have power. So, you know, Cornelius' people show up. Peter receives them, and there's this knowledge, you know, after the introductions are made, Peter better go back with these guys, and, and he's told, don't worry about it. Don't be bothered, you know, that you're going to a Gentile household and this isn't your habit, but it's okay. Because he's had this vision, he, he recognizes something unusual is going on. He, uh, the, see, in the 24th and 20 through 26 verses, the next day, he arrives and Cornelius is waiting for them. And he invited relatives and close friends to come here. Peter arrived, and Cornelius kneels at Peter's feet and starts worshiping him. So, again, he, he's not got it all together, but he is a humble man. A man of power who has authority technically over this group, but he's, he's humbling himself. Peter's going, no, no, don't worship me. I, there's nothing precious in this. Stand up. Nothing more than a human. Peter entered the house. He was talking, and many people were there. And Peter said to them, You know that we Jews are not allowed to have anything to do with other people. But God has shown me that he doesn't think anyone is unclean or unfit. So God is speaking to Peter and saying, You know, you were brought up with this group of people. You had this solid identity in your Jewishness. And you didn't associate with others. You kept this set of codes. But he says, what is happening now through Jesus Christ is that 
This word is for people of all ethnicities. This word is for everyone. And that's, that's something where, in some ways, we have to look and be ready to say, it doesn't matter what this person's heritage is, I have to be ready to receive them and be willing to embrace them as a part of the body of Christ. Now, because Peter's going to come and bring the message of Jesus, it isn't as if it's just get there any way you can, but the message of Christ is still this overriding umbrella that says salvation comes through Christ, God's Son. And so people that have God encounters need to be brought into the understanding of who Christ is. It's not a thing of just, you know, well, you had an encounter, you know, Cornelius, you had a vision, that's good enough. No, where did the vision take you? And that's something that in our, our understanding of, the, there are lots of people that have encounters with God. But ultimately, if they're going to walk into that where it needs to be, they're going to come to terms with the person of Jesus Christ who is going to judge the living and the dead, as Peter said. Who has this authority, who is the Son of God, who died for our sins, who rose again to new life. He walks through all of that. You know, the core teachings, I'm just saying, these are the critical issues to understand. He says, God told us to announce clearly to the people that Jesus is the one who has chosen to judge the living and the dead. Every one of the prophets has said that all who have faith in Jesus will have their sins forgiven in his name. So again, this, this is what is extremely precious in what we hold, and it's not to be diminished. That power of forgiveness is, is something, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, the issue of sin and stepping into sin is something that's been from the garden. It's something that accompanies all of us, that learning to say no and to unrighteousness is something that we all have to face. But we all recognize that we violated it. So how do you come to peace with God? Who says, I don't live with that. Jesus Christ, our hope, continues to be our hope. The other, before I go on and, and uh, just finish this, there's, there's the other side of this too where we can get very lazy and say, well, I'll just do whatever I want. Jesus covers it all. And that's foolishness in the other extreme, right? You know, that's like, saying, well, God's preoccupation with righteousness and, and living holy, you know, he's just, through Jesus, it doesn't matter. No, that's not at all what this is saying. And why did God choose a Cornelius who was living righteously but needed to be, had some clarification? And he brought the message of somebody that was stepping forward in what he knew, but he had to have the fullness of what could be through Christ. So when, when we look at this, there is something that regularly should arise in our hearts and just say, this is really precious what we have. 
You know, it, it, sometimes we get so used to it that there's a, a, a carelessness that filters into our lives where it's like, yeah, do I every day, do, am I aware that my sins are forgiven? Yeah, because every day there are things that I don't do perfectly. But I, I do not have the right to treat that as foolishness or as, as uh, I, I, I don't have the right to be careless about that because it is a precious treasure that's been given to our lives. And so we take that forgiveness as, you know, what it is, the Son of God coming to earth and dying for us. We embrace that and walk in it. And we say, this is wonderful. And this is for this life and eternity. This allows me to stand before the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. It says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit took control of everyone who was listening. So what happens is, this is amazing to me because, you know, for order in a service and, you know, as a preacher, I don't care to have interruptions that are, you know. Now, if the Holy Spirit wanted to take over, That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> but I, I hope I'd embrace it. But the, in this service, very definitely, God says, okay, that's enough. You, you said what needed to be said. And then he takes over. And these people have the same experience as what had happened in Acts chapter 2. And Peter and those with him have no choice but to say, God is doing something powerful here. They, they, have, they have no room to dismiss what's gone on. They can't say, well, we've given you Jesus Christ. You form your group. We'll, form, you know, we'll stay with ours, and it's all cool. No, by having this same experience, they're being brought into a, a corporate expression, but it's, it's all together. And so it isn't the, there isn't that privilege of saying, well, you know, it's too much to overcome our different ethnicities and our, our different life experiences, so you have your group, we'll have ours. But this encounter is forcing them to be drawn together. Now, it goes further with the Apostle Paul because then they start going out further and further into avenues where people don't have any heritage of worship whatsoever and still are having encounters with God and being brought into righteousness. And and so they're having to explore all those things as well. But, you know, it's starting out with something that's fairly sterile, you know, a guy that's living right and his household's living right, and they're brought in, but it's still mind-blowing to Peter and those with him that this would even take place. So they have this encounter, and and let's let's take this a bit. If we're saying that they are being brought into one body, there's a common core of doctrine, what do we have to say about this experience with the Holy Spirit? Now, we teach that at salvation you have a birth of the Spirit. 
But I want to suggest to you that there's opportunity for experiences in the Holy Spirit, and there better be some indication of transition of life, similar to you suddenly waking up and realizing, I love a guy that I did not even like. You know, where there's a heart change going on. The fruit of the Spirit, as we've, we regularly mention it out of Galatians, right? Where we say there's actual character changes that transpire in our lives as a result of God coming in and saving us. But if there's no mark of the Spirit, what's actually taking place? It's worth asking. And if, if we can't, you know, we who've been in the way for a long time, which is, you know, get out of the way or, I mean, keep walking, whatever. If we haven't had an encounter that way, or we can't point to anything in our lives that's had a transition, maybe it's time to be honest and saying there's not much going on. And I best wake up. Because in this passage, they didn't get into this with just a head knowledge. They weren't brought into the body as a whole with just head knowledge. And it's a faulty presentation of the gospel to just try to convert through head knowledge. If there isn't a change of character coming through the presence of God, something's wrong. And I also want to suggest to you that there are continued to be opportunities for powerful encounters and experiences in God that you didn't dream possible. It's part of what opening up the kingdom is all about. In in the heritage that I came out of, or what I was born into and, and raised in, would be a better way of saying it, uh, I think we overemphasized speaking in tongues. I, I still consider it very valuable. But I think it was like our badge and our only thing, and we failed to acknowledge that there were many facets of the presence of God to, to be had and experienced in Him. And the joy that I've seen in, in recent years is seeing many expressions of that. And we can't force those things, but we open up our lives to allow Him to do as He will. We don't declare how He has to act in us, but we say, however you want to do, whatever you want to do, I open the door for you to, to have that expression in me. And it's amazing what, what we get to experience, but also what we get to participate in when we see others having encounters with God. Sometimes it's a dream. Sometimes it's a vision. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's a prophetic thing. Sometimes it's a healing. You know, I don't care what happens, just so it happens. You know, I, I don't care, you know, what's going on. Um, I've mentioned before, regularly, when I sense the presence of God on me, I'll start crying. 
Now, I, I hate that personally. <laughs> it's embarrassing to me. But I'd much rather have it than not have anything. You know, it's, it's like it's, it's stepping into a, a physical awareness or an emotional expression of something that's happening at a deeper level through the Spirit. And it's not, it's not just an emotional experience. It's not just a, a physical sensation. Like some here have had the sensation of fire on their bodies. You go, what's with that? Well, it, I can't explain it in the natural. I just know it takes place. But when you have those kind of encounters, it, it in some ways seals something in you. It says... I can't forget this. I, I just, how am I going to let go of this? Everything that I thought impossible has just taken place. And, you know, so in this, this early setting, the observers, you know, what are we going to do about the Gentiles? They're watching and, and their minds are blown because they're seeing they're having the same experience as we had. How would I deny them? How would I, how would I refuse that? So God, even in this moment, for those of us that are struggling with guilt and have not said no to some things that we should have said no to, we ask for the forgiveness of our sins through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit in whatever application you would desire for us. We ask for a transformation of character, and we ask for encounters that go beyond what we expect. In this group, Lord, we ask for that even today. And Lord, we thank you that you bring us into a body that now has been going on for a number of centuries, but has a common core in you. Amen. People that have come to the Lord, had a baptism experience all in the same night. I've known many others that have come to the Lord and, for lack of a better word, tarried. They've sought the Lord, sought the Lord, and then had an encounter. God's going to do what's best for your life. You don't choose that. He's going to say, this is what's appropriate. But there is this thing of just saying, what he does is good. And so I embrace however he wants to bring that. It may be that he wants to walk you through some things. He's saying to you that, okay, if I'm going to forgive your sins, I want you to forgive so-and-so. Yeah, but they wronged me. So? Yeah, but they don't, they don't even want forgiveness. So? Yeah, but they, you know, they, they'll do it again. So? And we can go back and say, well, yeah, I did that sin intentionally. I probably will do it again. And, um, you know, I, 
And he's going, I'm still going to bring forgiveness to you. And, and so, I mean, we, we don't have the right of just dismissing it. But we know that he does good and we know that he transforms and he truly, he actually allows us to forgive others in a way that we can't do on our own. That's supernatural. So we say, God, do whatever you want in our midst. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ, the unique work of Jesus Christ washes away our sins. It brings us to peace with God. And for the Holy Spirit that he sends to transform our lives, the character, and to touch us in many, many ways. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the fullness of your salvation and all its ramifications for life. Ask God as each one goes into the community that you give them words of life to speak over others. I said you enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen.